What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com back with another episode of our, the RMR podcast, looking at music and cannabis across the map. Today, joined by special guest who's dabbled a little bit in both of these worlds, man, Raka Iris Cyrus, a.k.a. Raka Taylor. How you doing today, Raka? Peace. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Man, I'm I'm living, you know, it, it, the weather done turn cold us, on us in Seattle, so I got the fireplace running, man, but, uh, you know, just adjusting to the climate out here. Let's rock, man. So, you know, every every episode I kick off with our guest um, origin story with with their passion, whether that's music and cannabis. We're going to dabble a little bit of both sides today. But I, I'd like to start with your origin story with music when you first started, you know, turn the page on just being a listener and a fan and started being an artist and a creator. Um, I started in church. I was a church kid. Um, PK, like if, if you know music history. The blues continuum, and you understand how gospel music kind of gave birth to blues and jazz and rock and all that, and ultimately forward you could you could find hip hop as one of the branches as well. So it gave me a solid base, and um, I started uh, you know with hip hop culture through graffiti art, and through graffiti art I kind of found DJing um, that led to me uh picking up the microphone from that side and i ended up hooking up with evidence uh originally just to do one song but that's and um at the time i wasn't called iris science i just on the first album that never came out called iris science and people just started calling me that split from my graffiti graffiti um, identity and all that so that's how the name iris science the music came about just from from being a graffiti kid that loved hip-hop and you know when you when you love a good hip-hop culture that's going to be rap music and that's how it came about and we've had quite the journey since then when, when did you first start getting introduced to to cannabis as as a as a consumer as a consumer uh man high school sometime like probably junior high school um i was well that's first self introduced to it as a consumer it, it was around most of my life you know like from cousin family members old uncles you know if, you know i remember at one point we had like a little patch and it's been, it's been around since, as far as i can remember but as far as me partaking myself it would have been junior high school something like that and um kind of stuck with me so as, as we started making more music and navigating the space um dilated we weren't even called dilated at the time but ev and i uh close and became part of the overall soul assassins family uh and was the first one to give us a record deal uh, alchemist you know the producer alchemist at the time hooligans and, and that was evidence my partner evidence is like pretty much his best friend so you know and, and alchemist is a big part of that soul assassins family sound so we were just we were just to the soul assassins family fold and they showed a lot of love to us really early on and, and we still um and consider ourselves family um and through that you know tight with cypress hill and obviously we we all know what cypress hill means to the to the cannabis community bridge that you know it was one of the most important bridges and aspects of the connection so so yeah that's that's how i uh kind of came in contact with self and how it, it it affected the music or how we became you know such uh music and so you know obviously dilated people's being being the trio you know yourself evidence and babu 
you know, being a creative, it, 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 it can be difficult, right? Like collaboration is a big part of being a creative. Uh, you know, there's very few people that in the music realm, right, that write, produce, record, uh, engineer, do 100 percent everything. Right. Like a lot of hip hop is built upon collaboration, but it's also can be difficult. And, and finding that ability to work with people, especially on a consistent basis, is not it's a rare thing. Right. I think anyone is created. You get in a lot of environments where it might not be the right match, the right fit or, or you might not vibe. Or maybe you can vibe for the right record, but but making you know an album or a career together, it, it, it takes a lot of work kind of creatively. So how did how like soon was it? Obviously, like you said, you and evidence were already tight, but how how long did it take for you guys as a trio to kind of click on the same page? And and was it pretty smooth and pretty easy, or was it difficult at times like being having one vision as three separate creative individuals? I mean, well, Evidence and I were, were already a group for a while. We did a game before Dilated People. It was just the two of us. Um, I knew Babu separately. I knew World Famous Beat because I was really tight with, you know, Rhettmatic and J-Rock and those guys over there on the, on the shout out to, um, to the um, Beat Junkie Institute of Sound Planet. Um, but yeah, you know, they, those were already my homeboys. Um, Beat Junkie crew. I remember when Babu got put in Beat Junkies and he had a tape um, that he was called Comprehension, if I'm not mistaken, but it was like an ill ill mixtape, and he was just, this kid is, is crazy. You know, he was on some, psh. so um, we ended up just became friends, and ultimately I invited him to, I talked to Ev about it, you know, at the if we had a dilated show, we were working with whoever was available, so one night it might be J5 spinning for us, it might be Homicide spinning for us, it might be Rhett spinning for us, like from 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 the licks to alcoholics so it just depended on who was around who was available because we, we didn't have our own dj so um we were able to you know kind of tap into the community for that but went to the fold everything clicked pretty quickly i mean there were some a little bit of growing pains you have a third of new energy like someone going scratch crazy on everything um and so you know we had to figure out but it didn't take very long we we knew pretty pretty much right away that we made the right decision went up the 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 studio sessions went crazy. Everything changed at that point. So, I mean, there's definitely, there have definitely been times where we haven't seen eye to eye. I mean, we didn't get together because we agree on everything. You know, that wasn't, you know, a prerequisite. It was just at the time sync with what we wanted to do. But, you know, we, we're not forcing each other to to compromise. And so there are times when, you know, I don't like something or Ev doesn't like something or Babs doesn't like something. I for that by saying, all right, well, there's going to at least be one or two solo songs from everybody on each project. You, you could pick whoever you want to produce it. You could be about whatever you want it to be about. You, you know what I mean? If you want me wise, you know, consider it, a, you know, consider it on the album if that's what you wanted. That respect that we gave each other still stands to this day. You know, um, things that really kept us tight was the fact that from the very beginning, um, you know, bad boy, from the very beginning, Evidence and I knew that we wanted to do separate types of projects. We knew that we had other things, music, um, so it was something that if you go back and listen to our, even our earliest interviews and so on, this coming soon, that coming soon. And that's how we've always approached it. So like, him, you know, if I haven't talked to him in a month he and I'm not even on a project, he can still call me and say, you know, and, I, and, and vice versa. If there's something I need from him, he's always there and Babu the same. So back for each other as creatives, as artists, um, we love when we do connect this dialogue that way, because we built a vehicle that that's been very important. But we also love our creatives that inspire each other with the solo work that we do. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And 
you know, coming coming from the West Coast, right? Like like in the '90s, obviously the West Coast really carved out a little bit, you know, early early '90s, especially on a, on a mainstream level. Then the West Coast really carved out a sound or kind of around the gangster rap sound. A lot of people think of West Coast music; they think of those, you know, the Dre, the Snoop, the Dog Pound, the the derivatives of that. But obviously, yeah. California is known for or has a lot more to offer than just that sound and coming from whether you want to call it the independent grind or the underground grind, the West coast and specifically LA kind of put a, put a flag on, on the map with like a different sound, right. Coming that was different from this gangster rap sound. And you guys were one of the the people that I feel like thrived in that community, but also like broke out of that in, into the mainstream where maybe not a lot of those guys that, that had similar level talent were able to do that. What was it like coming up in LA and just like how competitive it was, even if it's a friendly level of competition, but that's like, you know, obviously New York's the Mecca of hip hop, but LA's kind of like outside of maybe the South making a case, you know, LA's kind of that next play, you know, that next place where you look at labels and infrastructure and spotlight. Um, what was it like coming up in that before you guys kind of fully broke out and everyone knew who dilated was, what, what was it like? Was it competitive? Was it love? Was it tension? What, what was that scene like? We didn't really have that much tension. Um, we were pretty comfortable with what we did. Like we were culturalists. Like we didn't, Evidence and I did a rap battle or at a studio or at a concert, you know, like we met a few times we hung out or talked. It was about graffiti. It wasn't even about music. And when he called me, he was like, yo, a bunch of people on it. I want you to jump on it, you know, come to the studio to record it. And for whatever reason came, I think I might've been the only person that showed up for that particular session. So I think he and I just ended up doing a song together and just knocked it out that way. So, you know, our relationship, relationship with the community was really organic. We really wanted to see everybody win. Cats, um, we never tripped about the billing or any of that kind of stuff. And for the most part, I'm mean, with issues here and there, but for the most part, everybody wanted to see us win too. They knew that we represented culture in LA and not just the rap side of it. So. Um, I think they saw that we were getting a lot of going to New York and, you know, chilling with Premier, Pete Rock, or the Beat Nuts, or was there D&D &D Studios? And, you know, I was, at the time, I was a member of Zulu Nation at the time, Steady Crew heavily. So, you know, we were really on the on the on on that space. But there were people in that'll still take your head off your shoulders, man. You got people like Freestyle Fellowship, the whole good life, mm -hmm. which those cats are crazy. Um, the alcoholics with the with the whole liquid crew movement that that we also linked in with, obviously soul assassins, you know, moving between L.A. and you know with mugs and some of his people being from the east and, um, you know, far side you had, you know doing really good work and then up north you had just like of course you had too short or you know people like that loonies different people like that moving you also had Dell souls of Mish people up there you know uh, extra prolific you had a lot of people up in that that whole hieroglyphics movement up there and even outside of that too, planet asia and you know it's just mm. you know top to bottom california is has big old cuff father rest in peace so it's a it's a it's a bunch of people that were really doing a lot of that you know um one way that we kind of bridged the gap was that i give a lot of credit to evidence for this because he you know he has like supersonic canine dog here every frequency of sound so you know he, he made sure that you know, we can make the records we want to pick, kick whatever we wanted to kick. But when it came down to mixing and mastering, like even beyond what I understood, he understood that to be a part of the science. So we would have situations where um, our records sonically could play next to Snoop or Missy Ellie or whoever the biggest rappers at the Nas, you know, Ludacris, whoever was popping at the time, our records sonically could bang with them. 
you know, style, if you didn't like our style, or if that's one thing, but it wasn't like um, there was a problem with the studio having to read or any of that kind of stuff. It just banged. And, you know, we spent a lot of time making sure that was the case. Um, so that like you were going to be able to play it. And luckily for us, you know, a good amount of people liked the music and showed a lot of love us to play, I think, at a higher level than, you know, a lot of people that didn't have that understanding or did. But that has nothing to do with what they're doing. A microphone cats are deadly in California. Still, they remove your face from your, from the from the back of your neck. You know what I mean? Like it'll 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 be a bad situation. If it... And and obviously in this day and age, like independence and being independent is is glorified, right? Like even artists that are not independent technically are are bragging and boasting about being independent on record. And there's this mindset with a lot of young artists that you know that you want to be independent because you don't want to split it with the label. Now you guys definitely your come up was independent and, and again like i said you know in, in the time period you guys were at were really one of the flagship people for for underground hip-hop again from the outside looking in back when that kind of that term meant something there was people out there that was like nah i listen to like underground hip-hop just not whatever is the mainstream right. shit on radio i don't listen to that i listen to to the real i guess it was kind of synonymous with that um but you guys obviously got some commercial success had videos on MTV and and reached a level where your records were reaching people and, and you had had these deals. What was it about that that come up, that grind, some of those things that you had to go through as, as an independent artist or as like what I personally just call like the DIY grind because you don't got the budget or the, or the team to do it. You got to wear a lot of different hats. So what was it like having to wear multiple hats and how did that kind of prepare you for, you know, marketing and business and and, and things outside of music? Yeah, um, the independent situation, it was a it was almost came into the game. Like the, the goal, because there wasn't, I mean, we first started, the internet wasn't as this thing, but it didn't really impact music at all or, or, or brands in that way. Definitely, it, it was definitely not an alternative to, to the, the standard systems that we have now. Through one of the major labels, you get major label distribution and you make it work, you know, like, and that was how the D has changed that considerably. Now you can record a, you can write a record, produce the beats, it, do the artwork, upload it, sell it, spend the money, make more, money, and do a concert all from your phone at this point in, in, in life. You know, like, you know, we came up, you know, that was definitely not the case. So, um, you know, we had to really under the, the space. Um, but so, you know, we, we first came into the game, we made some noise, we got our first record deal. Uh, through Immortal Records, recorded the album, and at the at, you know, in the midst of recording the album, the deal with Immortal Enemies came to a head. They had some issues, and we weren't happy with positioned over there anyway. So I believe it was, yeah, I'm not even sure what year it was, to be honest, but um, what to do. I got word that, um, that there was an issue between Epic and Immortal through the contract and uh went to the library and translated my hooker deal contract myself it took me like a full nine eight or nine hour day trying and trying to figure out what this meant what this meant pulled out the unabridged the giant unabridged dictionary this is before i could go google it there was no google anything there was like microfilm and like you know i mean to find out to find answers so i had to like like translate it by hand record deal and i found a loophole um where if um lost distribution from the up label which was seeming like it was going to happen because of their split then 30 days and if they didn't have new distribution already officially locked in we just have to send it to the label so i called you know about the 25th i kept it quiet 
I told Ab he was with it. And so I waited until about the 26th day, 27th. Then I went to my lawyer and was like, yo, this is what I found. Like, is this real? They're like, yeah, it's real. And mind you, these are people that I had already asked to get us out of the ironclad. Like, there's, there's nothing that could be done. Like, I, at that point, I had never taken a loss of life, you know? So I just had the desire to figure it out. So they told me, oh, yeah, great. Great work, man. You feel, man, let's get the paperwork together. Signed the paperwork, sent it over, got released, and then I just finished it. Like, you know, that was that was how, how it went. So from that point to really... Um, kind of look at independence differently because we'd already gone to, we already had it and we knew it was all most of it was smoke and mirrors i mean you can make it work but a lot of it was wasn't what we thought it was going to be so we figured we might as well just do this our way on our terms and we were able to kind of get ahead of that a little bit abb records up in the bay or in, in oakland and that gave us like another surgeons once we put out those records with abb inches and it became like really connected with a lot of djs and you know they really appreciated what we were doing gave us a lane to kind of move into putting out independent project capital and EMI came knocking with the, um, with the decimal point and the comma in a different place where it needed, and um, we ended up doing that deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I think the record that, that a lot of people think, you know, think of you guys when it really comes to your, 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 your coming alive moment on a, on a bigger scale is obviously worse comes to worse off the expansion team album. Was that, did right. you guys feel it when you made that record or feel it when it was, when that was initially released that like, yeah, this is, this is one of those ones or, or did you, did you not quite have that feeling? No, it was a weird situation with that record because um, I was up to New York uh, to work for Alchemist. And it was at that time, again, it was early. It wasn't like you want to go work with somebody, you get on a plane and you go fly out there and you go work with them, you know, like for the most part, and fly them out to work with you, however you want to do it. Um, we ended up out of manhattan and we just been there all day smoking eating listening to beats smoking listening to beats, beats and toward the end like we were almost like y'all not hearing what we want to hear like you know what we're looking for everything is just sounding good because he's a great bad but you know we were i think we were all listening for something that was like and i remember hearing the record being and i remember ev asking like yo what's it's weird like i can't quite catchy because it wasn't like a normal four you know four bar loop type of beat like it's like six bars and bars in a one bar chorus so so it's a weird track to kind of try to catch like if you try to kick one of your you're gonna end up in like you got to really just lock into the drums if that's if that's going to be your approach to it which is what like ludicrous did or other people had done for the same the same loop but the way i just remember like it was, a, we were still a little bit, no, it's not like a normal kind of beat. Like our DJ is going to want to spin it, but we just felt it or we recorded it. I think Ev is the one that came up with the, 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 the mob deep sample. Actually, no, I shouldn't say the mob deep sample, which came down to the, um, to the little snippet that we were your master for, for the project. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I think that became the, the vibe. I think I, I wrote the first part and then, he came in but yeah that was that was one of those ones where you know we knew it was something special about it but we didn't know like until we recorded it once we recorded it uh we recorded it at in new york and i remember like i think it was like primo and somebody else was there primo and some but maybe gord dexter like the whole D and i remember them coming in and being like yo if you don't release this joint 
we don't even kind of think they're like we love this shit. Like if you don't really, if you this isn't the one, just know you got problems like this from y'all out there. So that was we you know it was a joke, but it was also serious. Like they, they let us know that we you know we just felt it and it just kind of took off by itself at that point. And and how much for you guys changed, right? Because like you know that that record was with the, I think your guys' first record to hit charts. Like I said, the video I know was getting played on MTV, and and, it, and at that point you look at the you know MTV was was your your window into into music for a lot of listeners, right? There wasn't YouTube, there wasn't Spotify, like you said, there wasn't social media. So your only way that a listener could really stumble upon a, a song is the radio, MTV you know, a show or you know, some form of thing in physical, right? Street team, whatever, like had to be physical. There was not a lot of uh, of outlets or distribution channels. And, and again, from that that lane of, of hip hop, that's not necessarily on the pop rap side, you know, that that window of like when you guys came out, I think it was like you guys and like Talib and Most and maybe like Feral Monch were really the only dudes I feel like that kind of had credibility in in you know, the, whether you want to call it underground, boom bap, the, the real hip hop, whatever you want to, you know, box that into, but had credibility and a lot of love in that. But then you broke into like now reaching new fans, right? Your fans that are only getting force fed music from the radio or the TV, right? Like they're, they're, they're not going to listen to anything until that tells them it's tight. Was there kind of, was that kind of a tipping point of, of the music video coming out for you guys to build a, a, a bigger audience through that alone? Yeah, I mean, the worst come the worst video. Um, it did done other videos before, uh, but that one was a, that one was definitely special. You know, that song we recorded half the video in LA and half the video. Um, the video, the part of the video in New York, um, or I don't know if interesting is a word, but it, yeah, it stands out to me in my mind, you know, on a number of levels. But I remember it, it was like September. Eighth or ninth, say like something like that. Probably the ninth that we shot, um, and we we're waiting for Guru to show up to do his part. And because the, the idea for the for every verse, but uh, if if you notice things, and the reason there are two Brooklyn Bridge scenes is because we were just waiting for Guru, and we ended up doing uh, like a version of my part just for just for just to have a take of it just to test it out um we did we shot the video um flew into into europe to go meet with uh, lincoln park we we're gonna go do this lincoln park we we're gonna go open for lincoln park and we flew to europe got to hamburg checked into our hotel afternoon and you know we're at at that point, we're six hours ahead in New York or, or nine hours ahead. Um, turned on the TV as soon as we got to our rooms in, in, in Germany. And nine building was already on fire in New York. And we watched the second plane hit. On uh, This is not we watched the second plane hit, um, which, you know, was, was crazy, um, obviously. Um, what that also meant on a, on a very, I guess, practical was MTV was like, we can't play this video because it has the world trade center just got destroyed yesterday so you know we ended up having a digital this is early too like nowadays it probably wouldn't have been, been that big of a deal but at that point when 2000 something what is it what is, what is that 2001 2001 yeah. horrible with this shit. but um whatever it was it was over 20 years ago and it wasn't as buildings and all that stuff on the fly for a rap video i mean yeah if you're making a movie and you got a budget it's for us to do it it was a big deal 
but um ultimately it came out and the with the delay with it coming out with us having to go spend the money to go re you know do special effects um it did really well for us you know you know two other videos came out with the world trade center and it was no problem because by that time like the initial shock of it i but yeah that that video did a did really well for us and put us in a lot of places i made us like the underground rap group that was doing people's and and things like that so it was a it put us in kind of a unique middle ground place and that big of a deal i mean like i said we started in graffiti art coming in the graffiti art scene it's not even necessarily about rap music per se i mean there's certain you know the graffiti art community enjoys rap music but especially early on even to plenty of graffiti artists that don't listen to rap music at all they listen to metal or you know punk or rap or just rock and roll whatever soul music like the old cats were into motown it wasn't you know, you could, to be honest, it might sound crazy, but you could talk to some of the older graffiti cats and they're like, even really an element of hip hop. You know, it's something that they grew in parallel to hip hop, but, you know, I wasn't into all that. Like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, I can understand their position because they were there, their hip hop. If they're saying that, you know, this has nothing to do with that, you know, like, so it's, but um, that kind of put us in a place where we were already networking and communicating with, you know, and, you know, punk, punk rockers on that side and all kind of different people just because of how it was so middle and to create something that kind of brings people together was you know wasn't strange for us that's that's fire man that's crazy with the with the digitally editing i i i can't imagine the technology required two decades ago There's to still do that version. man look find the really that they released it on a we put out like a um DVD or like a promo tape, a VHS tape it was a long time ago. It might have been a DVD by that time. Version with me doing the my verse in front of the World Trade Center with the towers behind me. And if it's out there, it just wasn't the one that got serviced to to uh, MTV and BE, whoever else, VH1, I guess, whoever else. It, it never got serviced. It just we just put it out later, kind of promo behind the scenes video. I'm, I'm gonna have to check for that. Uh, you know, it makes sense, like the graffiti background, right? Of being being a creative, like beyond just being an artist, being a, a visual artist, right? Not just a, a lyricist, um, and and doing the work that you know. I know we've chatted a little bit offline uh, of what you've done creatively in terms of marketing and branding and that that aspect. What point did you kind of transition from just you know from music being the main hustle to starting to do? Um, some of these creative and the branding things and, and early on, and I know that led into being a director of marketing at, at DNA Genetics, having that cannabis industry crossover. But but what point did you start dabbling in in those things away from doing it? I'm sure you were involved in that process for the music, but moving away from it, from your music and starting to do it for brands and kind of other entities. Yeah, like you said, I, I was of, of what I was doing for Dilated. Um, I ended up like handling a lot of the management for Dilated, coordinating merch doing most of the booking over the years like so i was kind of stepping aside of the creative space just through dilated um even though at times we had managers and agents and other things i was still kind of the if nothing else the point person in the group to make it happen um at, at a certain point i would say uh i don't even again i um I, I kind of moved over. I decided I was going to go back to school. I, I had some downtime. I, could, I wasn't really in that space at that time. Like, you know, I just love, I'm, I'm real spongy. I love, love picking up things and trying new things. 
I don't know, I get bored easily, I guess. But at the to this day, my biggest passion was architecture. So I ended up going to school for like a year, to school. Um, and then I just, then it was time for our next tour campaign and tour at the same time. And, you know, I was, I saw straight A's start slipping into, and I started to see like the writing on the wall, like this, you know, I can definitely tour. And this also early net existed at this time, but it was still not like ubiquitous. It, was, it still wasn't the thing. And it wasn't like today where every major school has an online program or any of that kind of stuff. Like this was like teachers and everything else to be able to go tour and go back to school. But um, South Africa I, I, and, and trying to find like a table to hook my rulers up to so I could do this. just the whole process of finding that like I had to go to like the next building over and use table while they're cooking over here and steam and I'm trying to draw and I was just like yo this is I don't know if this is going to off to like let go of the, of the handle to swing to the other side you know uh, I'm still got years to go so and I still love making music and touring so I ended up switching my major um, to advertising which to me at the time, I looked at it as the study of propaganda, like from that standpoint, like you could put out these creative messages um, and press band, how does that work? You know, so um, I ended up taking whatever placement test I needed to play into the, the advertising program, moved over to advertising and ended up getting my degree in advertising. And um, through that, I started working with an agency called Cartel Creative that was in Seoul, agency of record for Red Bull, you know, especially during the BC1, like the b-boy championships and things like that uh john jay and um the and charlie shin um through uh through me hosting some red bull events and you know talking to Charlie at the time i ended up going over there working with them as as a basically like a and just kind of a project leader and producer putting together things and that kind of I really fell in love with the the puzzle like unlocking the puzzle of working on how to develop or or to you know to 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 foster insights and develop turn those into um strategic concepts that are that are effective almost a game you know puzzle to me like how do we unlock this and from that point i just started working on brands i was working with cartel but i was also you know doing independent work working uh see working for before i worked up with dna i had done projects for so you know how i link with dna I knew Aaron Yarko, one of the owners of, of the, from elementary school. Like we go back to like elementary school days. Um, he's like two years, but we go back that far. Um, we ended up meeting up years later, you know, um, getting our medical cards in LA. And um, he invited us to them. That was obviously one of our favorite places. We, we were getting out there as much as we could. So showing Amsterdam for Cannabis Cup. So we ended up doing that at the end of that show, stepping up and helping them out, organizing a few things, making some things happen. And that led to them and do the next year's Cannabis Cup party for them. And I ended up doing, I think, maybe in Amsterdam, five or six, maybe five years in a row in Amsterdam at Melkweg at, in one of the centers there. We were throwing the, the High Times DNA Hotbox party every year. And I was curating the talent. I was booking it. Handling, putting together the teams and everything. Even, before, even while that was all going on, I was also doing projects for you know Weed Maps, the uh, Marley Natural, um, Restock, which is like pulp, you know, like um, cannabis pulp fibers and, and, and presses them into paper. So I 
different bunch of different projects, multiple projects for Weed Maps actually. Um, and uh, after that, kind of boomerang back, and DNA decided they were going to move their company to bases from Amsterdam to California, and they wanted to put together a California team. So they reached out and asked if I director of marketing. They knew I was on the brand side, marketing side, advertising board. I was doing all that, but they needed someone to come in and, and fill in the space of director of marketing. So it, they brought me in to do that, and uh, I had a lot of fun. They ended up canceling the, the California it. Um, because of uh, some supply chain issues. And we were also going at that, and they were just having a bunch of issues trying to get it untangled. Um, but that's family, um, love those guys. I just talked to, to Don the other day. I got to catch up with them, excellent dudes, man, good dudes. And um, I'm really proud of what they've been able to do over the years. Um, I, I want to unpack some, some of the stuff you said there, but I, I do have one question that stood out to me. Uh, when I was looking at, you know, the 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 company, the consulting company you're operating under right now, Angles, um, was that what, what's the direct tie? To, obviously, I know one of your early songs, you know, the early dilated songs being work the Angles. Is that a, Angles like a concept that's kind of been around for a long time? And, and what's what's that concept mean to you if there if there is some ties between that? Yeah, well, um, I started another agency uh, a couple of years back, just freelancer. I wanted to create a little bit of a base, and and it was a straight creative tactics agency, straight design agency. Um, maybe a little naming, a little this, a little the slight. It was more straight creative, creative uh, tactics. Um, I ended up some strategy um, seminars and checking out the world of strategy. Um, creative strategy, content strategy, you know, whatever it was. Um, I ended up falling in love with with that that um, skill set, that science, and that community. And uh, through that, I met some really good people. So I had an agency, and it wasn't called Angles. I was really feeling like I need to find, like, a spark. I need something to inspire me. I need something that really what I'm trying to do. And in, in talking to, you know, a friend of mine, um, he's, he's uh, more um, popular and one of the most, you know, talented and generous um, uh, strategists that I've met. His name is Mark Pollard. And uh, Mark has a company called Sweathead. And I was talking to Mark and, you know, what's the name of the agency? What are you doing? I explained it to him. He's like, yeah, that's cool. You know, good name. Like, but why? Like, why are you doing that? Like, what does that have to do with you? Like, what does that really have to do with you? Talking it through with him, he was like, you know, what would be great would be something that, to me, it's like, have you ever thought about angles? Like, you know, he's like, work the angles is like one of my favorite songs. You guys, he's a strategist, but he also comes from the world of the hip hop from Australia. He had a magazine called Stealth Magazine. And even he was doing like, you know, like chat room, hip hop chat rooms and all that stuff. But now he's you know, worldwide in-demand strategist from Australia. But he's like, yo, I used to, you know, work that. that to me is, you know, that's you. Like, when I think of you with clipped angles, you know. Um, and we ended up talking about that. And, you know, before we got off, he was called Angles. And, you know, the, the whole idea behind it or the strategy behind it, you know, and that, you know, like when we talk about boxing or playing pool or anything else, you're just finding a, a line of approach um, to find your way into where you're trying to get to. So it's directly tied into when, um, but it, it, it didn't come from me. I, I always give credit to Mark and to, you know, the sweathead saw that in me and, you know, turned that on and, and really uh, shine the light on how, how powerful 
That's fire. That's that's fire. That's how it's connected. I, I figured that there was some sort of connection there, uh, but that that's strange. You know, it, it took that that outside inspiration, but I like it. And, and I also like that song, man. The way the sample switches up in it is uh is pretty pretty wild, man. They're coming from the era of a lot of just loops. That's where it was kind of an aggressive switch, but obviously in sync on that beat, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Record right there did did really well for us and that really put us in a really strong team. We were already um, doing a lot of good work on physical work angles, and it's still something that goes off. But to your point, worst come to worst was um, introduced us. You know, introduced a lot of people. A lot of people like really built the bridge with with the masses. Um, I think it was uh, for sure worst. Um, and then on the agency side, right? Like a lot of what you do is strategy, but also, you know, I know like listed on it, it's cultural uh, or culture consultancy. And then I know it's a lot of what we talked about on this and just in other things, like how companies move with from or within or speak to culture is very like a, a huge component of how brands market and, and deliver messaging nowadays. And especially I'd say these days, even more than previous with, you know, even weird cpg goods that are kind of popping up right they're not using your traditional tv advertising it's a lot of stuff through TikTok. it's a lot of things through content and the way that it moves is whether it comes from culture it speaks through culture or it leverages kind of where cultural is moving right like culture is so i mean it's always been important but it seems to be more important and more brands are kind of narrowing in and understanding that from your perspective like of how to work within or speak to a culture in general, is it something that you feel like has to come? I mean, I think authenticity is obviously an important component of that, but do you think it, that a product or a brand needs to kind of surface come from the culture or there's a way for them to manufacture might not be the right word, but to kind of learn and adapt and speak to culture? Do they really have to come through that in 2022? It, it's, I don't think that, um, it's impossible for somebody to um, would be interesting to a particular culture culture themselves. Um, I think what's important more so than where you come from the situation. If you want to speak to a group of people, really take the time to understand, to study that group of people, to understand that group of people, to know that group of people, even though you're you're considering them a group of people themselves, are a collection of individuals. It's not the idea of, of thought or how anybody's going to handle it. So, you know, you I think it, it really just comes from from a respectful place and you're solving a problem, then I don't think with um, selling to someone outside of whatever, I guess you could say your base culture, you know, whatever the base of your business's culture is. I think it's a problem when when control culture, um, I think it's a problem when people accepted into a particular culture suddenly feel like they don't have to respect that culture and then that culture. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I think it's, you know, there are people that'll look at something and, and say, hey, I like that. And it wasn't even, no one was even presenting that to them. They just happened to stumble with it. So, you know, I don't think everything that comes out and everything that happens is cultural. Really. Um, but I do think it's important that if you're going to, I guess you could say, and I don't like to use this way, target a particular group of people or target a culture, um, if you're going to market to or for the purpose of trying to turn profit or make something happen, 
then it's, it's most, I think, very respectful of that and do your best to understand that. And also to and invest the resources in communicating with people of that culture so that you possible and um, where those dots don't need to connect that directly amount of, of, of oversight or a certain amount of um, input into the situation. Because I will say that regardless of what the intent is, board to get it wrong. You know, they can't afford to come out and say the, say the wrong thing and then try to apologize. Even if the hot seat, that's an expensive trip to the hot seat for them. So it makes a lot more sense for these brands to talk to a particular group of people to communicate with people from that group of people, to track group of people that they want to talk to, to work with, to collaborate with, to bring in. I think that's really what it comes down to. And I think when you do that, you end up with better communication, community relations, because everyone feels like, we're not just here as a market. We're not just here as ice. You know, um, you respect us as uh, an, you know, we're not just a flavor for you to play around with and hope for the best. So, yeah, I think if, you know, whether they can't afford to get it wrong and that whatever, whatever community there is that they're trying to, generally speaking, from that community that they can speak to directly, they can hire as consultants, they can, they can hire as, you know, uh, contract partners or whatever the case is to come, you know, they're not, um, they can then keep their foot out their mouth and um, keep themselves off the hot, even with the best of intention, saying something or doing something they had no business saying or doing. Well, that's 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 some some jewels right there. It's, it's been a big conversation. Obviously, you know, the business of hip hop has has had a lot of conversation and tension around that subject over the years. Um, in the cannabis industry, we're starting to see a lot of that conversation between, you know, I always say between the suits and the cowboys, the people that were here pre-legalization and the uh, private equity groups and the funds that are coming into it, right? There's this big talk of uh, of separation between culture and business, right? And I think a lot of a lot of those companies in cannabis need to take heed to a, a lot of what you you just spilled, man. You should you should send an invoice out for them just to listen to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hit the like button. I don't know what you're supposed to say in these, but whatever's happening, make sure you check out. Keep locked in to these jewels and gems. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely man absolutely you know but before i get you about here man i, I got one more question i know that you, you gave me a, another jewel with the with the worst comes to worst and the, the 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 digital uh reduction of the graphics you had to do with that do you have a good just like story of the come up or whether you were you know once you guys were on a little bit more of, that was just like a real like a good grind story or like a diy i'm always a sucker for like you know, when people at the masses or whatever group see something and they don't understand like how 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 much struggle or how much DIY went into something that the end product doesn't necessarily look like that, right? Do you got any good stories like that from the come up? Yeah, I mean, my classic DIY was the the issue with the contract, having to go, you know, train on myself, take that back, get us out the deal, fire everybody and kind of take, take that on my shoulder. Um, but you know, we've always kind of had that ethic so that work ethic um i think once we got into the the 12 inch space and started really moving 12 these stores you know like from some of the, the music you know the, the numbers of, of units that we are moving i think that from there we were able to really that momentum you know um into relationships with dj i think that that was probably for us you know um one of the most important things that we could have been still uh, hold, you know holds us down you know keep, put, keeps us in a good place that we took the time to really 
invest in our relationship with DJ, not just in um, in Los Angeles or California or even in the states, but around the people. Unfortunately, a lot of my a lot of peers uh, from that era now uh, they wait until their their careers kind of on the decline or tell the, you know, they push in them as hard as they want to be pushed to go try to find other markets to be relevant in. And, you know, you know, you're, you know, that you're coming at to them late for us. I think the fact that, you know, so we made it out right away and make the world part of our launch. If we're, if, it, if it's going to be released to the world, then we're going to go. So I think that just that approach right there garnered us a lot of respect in the DJ community, hip hop community, because we, you know, we took our time to, to, to spread that love and do what we could. So um, I think that just that, that's what it was. Nowadays, it's not necessarily the same, you know, um, it's not as fraternal. There's not that, there's not as much um, from the community. There's not just one community, there's multiple community space because of what's happened. You know, I guess you could say it's been decentralized. Um, so it's, it's um, but that attitude of trying to figure out you know, because you make a record and it automatically, you know, seeps into people's sleep, you know, subconscious while they're sitting. Somebody's spinning the record. Somebody's at the club spinning the records or at, you know, concerts, records, putting out mixtapes or, you know, whatever the case, whatever the, the version of it is, right? Putting your music out there for the people to to really lock in with it. And are some of the most important people in your in, in, in your overall journey and your overall career appreciated and those people are appreciated, then you're gonna you're gonna be able to pick that else of that appreciation because you appreciate them for what they do and the fact that they're spinning the music and they appreciate this this good music gives them something to spin, but also t t you know tips your hat to them and of saying, hey, you could have spun anything for that three minutes, but you spun my record, so thank you. So you know this, um, in in high esteem with um, with most of the definitely the majority of hip hop DJs around the world, and those are relationships that we still have to this day. Build, yeah, building yeah those relationships and building organically, man. Yeah, that's that's the 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 grind. Obviously, it pays off. Well, Rocka, I really appreciate you hopping on here and, and, and giving some insight to your journey, um, dropping some jewels out there for you know for people that want some more information. Theanglesagency.com, Rocka yeah. Taylor on LinkedIn. Anything else you want to plug before I get you up out of here, man? Yeah, I want to thank you. Thank these these uh, these platforms that are, are connecting with people and you know doing unique things like you're doing with music and cannabis and culture and creative and doing these things and not being afraid to and f figure out a way to you know to help tell these stories that line up with that so that's very cool to the generations of new artists that have come up and that continue to come up that they've appreciated that are trying to figure out a way to you know to always push it forward shout out to all the new art continue to inspire generations we were inspired and that's how we were able to get the, the battery in our hand you know, we've been blessed to to hear that we've inspired others to do the same, and now the people that are inspiring other people. So it, it keeps going. The gen, you know generations, generations um, will will hopefully still be locked into the culture, appreciate where it came from, not feel like there's a ceiling on where it can go. Absolutely, innovation and evolution forever, man. Well, I appreciate you, Rocka, for hopping on here. This is the RMR podcast. Uh, you can check us out, Spotify, Apple, everywhere else you listen to podcasts at. We'll be back with more content later this week. We are in Chicago on Friday this week for the KVL International Flower Ball and then MJ BizCon in a couple weeks. So hope to see some people in person that are out there. Live episodes at both of those occasions. We'll see you guys here soon. Peace.